Twitter. I'm Saeed Jones. He is Hayes Brown. We are smiling because the sun is finally shining in New York City after weeks of cloudiness. Thank God. It's only <gasps> what, 53. It went down one. It's 53 <laughs> degrees out, but we will take Get. This weird Whew. spring, but listen, uh, you're watching A into DM and we're just gonna dive right into it. Yes. Okay, so here's the thing, you might have seen this. A new survey is out listing the sexiest accents mm. in America. Did I just turn you on? I hope it did. Here's a tweet from NBC10 Boston. Boston accent <laughs> ranked sexiest accent in America. First place went to Texas. And as a mm. as a Texan, uh, mm. the story's bad and it should feel bad. Okay. So here's the thing. I came in ready to argue about this. This is perfect morning show banter people made for us. And then Hayes was like, it's a trap. It is a trap because it was made for us mm. because there's so much local coverage of this. You see it all over. But that's like because it's all- Like the Boston story. Exactly. Mm -hmm. But it's all from one survey from an Instagram travel ad company called uh, Big Travel 7. That's the only one getting it. Here's huh. NYC Southpaw with a perfect summation of this whole thing. The PR team for the Instagram travel ad company that commissioned this survey is earning its keep. Look at all these stories that they have. They okay, have, so, so this isn't even, it's not even a survey. It's not, it's and not. And it's just an Instagram travel company. And, and what are they trying to do? What do they want so us to do? So if you actually go to their page where uh -huh. they actually have the full list, uh -huh. on each of the, the results, on each of the results, uh -huh. they show the most Instagrammable places from each location. So it's a scam. It's not real. There's no methodology. There's no cross tabs. <laughs> You can't see what 18 to 30 year olds think about this. It's fake and I will not stand for it on this show. And what's interesting to me is uh, I saw this NBC you know, story because it was a Twitter moment. Mm -hmm. So which is to say some, it was signal boosted either because enough of us was, were tweeting about mm -hmm. it or someone who was curating was like, oh, this will prompt a discussion. So right. but this is all just generating clicks. Mm -hmm. Is it common? Is that I am sure it's common because mm -hmm. I mean, we, we're talking about it. Right. So I, it works, but I hate it. I like, wow. give me something natural is I how I I feel about it. There's the great just so much Lamar. deception on the internet. So much. Can you believe People it? People just lying on the internet. Can you believe it? Can you? <laughs> well, uh, thank you for teaching me this. I did not know it. The more you know. I'm gonna disregard everything I just learned for a moment and take it to the <laughs> timeline though. What do you think is the sexiest accent in the United States? Uh, let us know using the hashtag. It certainly is not Boston. Sorry, Boston. It just doesn't get my, my engines going. Sorry. Well, here's a tweet from the New York Times. San Francisco became the first major U.S. city to ban the use of facial recognition technology by police and other municipal agencies. Uh, joining us now to talk about what this actually means, because it's fascinating, is BuzzFeed News tech reporter Davey Alba. Good morning, Davey. Good morning. All right, so how broad is this new ban in San Francisco? So it covers the entire city. Um, and yeah, so San Francisco proper. Right, so what exactly is in this uh, provision now? I know that they talk about the police not being able to use facial right. recognition tech, but what other stuff was in the actual thing that they passed? So it's basically a wholesale ban, mm. um, meaning that third-party companies that have collected facial um, information, that stuff can't be used in San Francisco as well. So it's like future 
um, efforts, uh, initiatives for facial recognition, as well as third-party information that's already been collected. Okay, and yeah, I, I did want to ask, I mean, when I first read that, I was like, oh, interesting, police departments. Was, uh, was this technology being used in this way already in the city of San Francisco, or was this just preemptive? And if so, why did they feel the urgency to kind of get in front of it? So it has been used in San Francisco, but only in federally um, controlled mm. situations. So the San Francisco International Airport, for instance. For city agencies and city programs and things like that, um, it hasn't been used. Um, there might be sort of one-off tech companies that are using it privately in their offices. Um, that's totally possible. But basically, this is the city and all its local agencies not being able to use facial recognition. That's what the ban um, sort of puts into action. Hmm. So what are other cities doing? I mean, San Francisco being the first, it feels important. Is, is that the case? I mean, does, does it feel important to you? And what are other cities out there actually doing with facial recognition tech right now when it comes to policing? Totally. So um, San Francisco being the first major city to do this is really symbolic, especially as sort of the hub of tech innovation. Mm -hmm. um, so that's a big deal. And it's, it's uh, you know, been uh, lauded by privacy advocates all over the city who had been waging sort of uh, this movement to get this done. Other cities um, around the US certainly have uh, already implemented these things. New York City, for one, the NYPD is all over facial recognition, and we don't really know all of the initiatives that are happening um, as we walk through this city. Um, Florida, Orlando, Florida is another one. There is a Amazon recognition uh, pilot over there that's currently oh. in use. and. Um, Las Vegas, and there are a bunch of other sort of um, pockets here and there. And we actually don't have a good view of the entire U.S. and what, you know, what programs are already in right. place. Right. We don't even know what exists already. Mm -hmm. Right. So wow. actually, follow up really quickly. You said Orlando is one of the places that uses facial recognition mm -hmm. a lot. Yeah. Question, why Orlando? Is it because of the theme parks? That's just me speculating. <laughs> it made me, but I was like, is it the theme parks or is it the, like a response to the Pulse shooting? Right. Or do we know? Mm, possibly. Um, all of those, I mean, they don't say directly what um, the reasons are, but Amazon, through, you know, sort of freedom of information requests, and we've done a story on this, um, we found out that uh, there are cameras installed with recognition software, which is Amazon's platform, in downtown Orlando. And mm. Amazon has, like, sort of brag that it can be useful, the spatial recognition technology in theme parks and things like that. So maybe, maybe that's sort of where they're going. It's so interesting. I mean, as I was uh, thinking about this story, it occurred to me that, you know, Taylor Swift, uh, we found out, yeah. use, uh, uses Taylor, uh, uh, uses Taylor, uses facial <laughs> recognition technology for security at her own concerts. I think Ariana Grande has talked about thinking about this as well in light of, of, of recent events. Um, but also, listen, all week long, I've been seeing everyone use the Snapchat facial mm. recognition, you know, and this happens. Like, it's fun. We use these lenses. Mm. So as a tech reporter looking at this, where do you think the conversation is going to go? Because in some ways, it seems like Pandora's box has been opened here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and there are a lot of consumer uses for facial tech. Uh, recognition technology already. Like, say, when you unlock your iPhone, that's using facial recognition. Um, I think the danger here is when it connects to your identity and then law enforcement and the government can use it. Because that basically means that 
they can surveil you wherever you go and through space. In terms of the Snapchat filter, that was obviously like a ton of fun. And <laughs> that's not necessarily connecting to your identity. It's sort of just um, detecting your facial features um, and, and it's done on the fly. And as far as we know, it isn't stored anywhere. And you know, law enforcement can't get their hands on it. So that's sort of a different thing. For now. For, For now. now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, thank you so much for that, Davey. That was really good looking out. <laughs> thank you. you. I'll let you have it, Hayes. All right, uh, we have to talk about what's going on in Alabama. The stakes are high, and I know so many of you, rightfully, us included, are deeply concerned. Here's a tweet from the AP. Alabama Governor Kay Ivey will decide whether to sign legislation that would outlaw almost all abortions in the state as some conservatives seek to ignite legal fights in the hopes of getting the United States Supreme Court to, and this is a euphemism here from the AP, revisit Roe v. Wade. Roxanne Gay tweeted, y'all need to stop saying Alabama or Georgia lawmakers are hicks or hillbillies, hillbillies, etc. What they are is systematically dismantling women's rights one state at a time to eventually overturn Roe v. Wade, and before long, it will be your state legislators. It's a great reminder to stay focused here on what actually matters. To that point, here's a tweet from Abby Crane, a reporter for Reckon Alabama. She's joined us before, and she was in the Senate gallery in Alabama last night when the bill passed. She noted, lots of men celebrating with handshakes and fist bumps outside the chamber. Abby Crane, who covers women and gender issues for Reckon Alabama, joins us now. Abby, good morning. Hey, how's it going, guys? Pretty good. It's going okay out here. So for people who haven't been following this bill closely, what exactly does it entail? So last night, um, the Alabama State Senate um, passed a bill that would um, ban all abortions. Um, they tried to pass an amendment with a, with a rape and incest exception that didn't pass. Um, th they tried to filibuster it for about three hours before they finally closed it around 8.30. And it passed, um, and folks were celebratory. Folks were celebratory. And we do have you on camera, Abby. It looks like uh, we do have Cam working. Um, I, I want to— Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I appreciate you, you know, being multitasking and being ready for, for all options. But keep your phone I'm ready. in case. <laughs> um, so how have the bill's sponsors explained the lack of protections for rape and incest? How are they justifying what many people rightfully are finding to be indefensible? So they're not concerned. The, the, the writer of the bill, Terry Collins, who is a woman, um, she actually said after the bill passed that if Roe v. Wade is overturned, abortion is now illegal, she hopes that um, they'll be able to write a new bill in Alabama that defines actually what the laws and regulations around reproductive health are in Alabama. And she said she would support a rape and incest um, exception. Um, this is solely to challenge the Supreme Court's decision on Roe v. Wade. Um, they've made that very clear. Um, it's they, They're saying, I don't know how this is going to work, how, how this will play out. They're saying this is um, not what it's going to look like in each individual state, but they want to make what they call a clean bill that um, the Supreme Court will want to get their hands on and um, overturn Roe v. Wade. Wow. So one one question that we have, actually, um, given a lot of the discussion about when does pregnancy start and a lot of 
seeming confusion by the lawmakers about that. On people who are not healthcare providers. <laughs> that indeed. So what, one question we've had is, what is uh, the law in Alabama like as far as Plan B goes mm-hmm. and that sort of um, reproductive health? I mean, if someone takes Plan B the morning after, uh, does that count under, the Alabama, under Alabama law as having an abortion now? Well, it was wild listening to these guys discuss how fertility, how pregnancy works. They admitted that they didn't know the ins and outs. They admitted they didn't know the medical procedure, the medical terminology. And they hinted that um, they kept going around the, the, the phrase when the women, when a woman is known to be pregnant, which it seems like it would give a little leeway for plan B, but they, they never mentioned that. They never, um, they never really clarified what that meant. They just kept, kept pushing. Once the woman is known to be pregnant, it's illegal. So I don't really know. Wow. Woof. Um, as I was preparing for our show this morning and just following this, uh, this story, um, I've seen, and I saw this with Georgia, and you see this often, um, and I have to say this is someone who grew up in the South, I see a lot of tweets where people are like, well, you know, you get the laws and the lawmakers you voted for, you know, as if, like, the people of Alabama or the people of Georgia, they deserve this. Um, listen, you've reported for the Wall Street Journal. You are now based uh, in Alabama, so, and you were in the gallery last night with people who seemed from different um, political walks of life are very passionate about it. So what do you say about the um, the national perception of Alabama on days like this? I mean, we have a super, super Republican majority. It's, I mean, we saw a, few, a couple of years ago, we made national news when Doug Jones, the first Democratic senator in 25 years to get elected in Alabama. Um, I think that shows that Alabamians can get together and, and choose who they want. Um, but I think it was really, it was personified in, in the chambers. There was three women voting on that, three. And um, I think 20, 31 men. Um, I mean, I, I truly think it all comes down to representation. And um, women truly aren't representative and, and represented in the Alabama legislature. Unfortunately, that seems very clear. Well, Abby, this is your second time on the show. Uh, we so appreciate your work. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Wow, and we will continue to follow this. I mean, it's just, and you should too, right? Don't, like, don't wait until, like, something like this happens to follow, you know, the conversation about reproductive health in our country. Um, Well, we've got another great show for you guys today. Gabrielle Union and Jessica Alba will be here later this morning, but up next is Fire Tweets. Yeah. Welcome back. We got some fire tweets for you. Ready to get into this? We do. Let us do it. All right. First up, Sri Carr tweeted, (laughs) I'm laughing at the people who named their kids Daenerys or Khaleesi. What a bunch of absolute fools. If only they were as wise as me, father to a beautiful baby girl named Detective Pikachu. (laughs) I want to meet a child named Detective Pikachu one day. One word. One word. (laughs) Here's my warning, and it goes for all of you who are naming your children after movie and TV franchise characters. Listen, in the age of sequels and things being mm-hmm. rebooted and rebotted and revamped and rebooted, uh, you need to wait until a character's narrative arc has run out, mm-hmm. honey, because I think Daenerys is a great example. You're like, it's true. you don't know what's going to happen in the 11th hour. Detective Lit- Pikachu might burn up King's Landing too. You don't know. Detective Pikachu 3. He's the got one that where Pikachu tail. murders a man. <laughs> Just cold-blooded. <laughs> 
look out. No remorse in those look black out. eyes. Screaming, screaming. Now everyone who's named their kid uh, Jamie. Mm. On you too. On you too, friends. You're mm. not getting out of this scot-free. You All right. Are. This next tweet comes from D.L. Betts. At my funeral, take the bouquet off my casket and throw it into the crowd to see who's next. I'm adding this to my will today. 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 I, mine is not, no, I don't want someone to come up and throw it. I want okay. a button that deploys it into oh, the like crowd. A, yes. Oh, I and whoever it. catches That's it, so congratulations. Funny. Happy death day. the horror day. of like, huh. Is it everyone, me? Should, yeah, everyone should have instructions about how to react. <laughs> like they start preemptively grieving the person who got the, mm-hmm, I love it. Mm-hmm. We're not Beautiful. morbid here. It's fine. Yes, we are. Xander, you tweeted. <laughs> me, doesn't eat, stomach hurts. <laughs> me, Eats, stomach, also hurts. Okay, you know what? Fuck you. <laughs> that is the worst. When the hunger stomach is the worst. When you're like, oh, I'm so hungry, I can't eat anything. That is the worst feeling. Like, I guess that food is something I should have. Well, yesterday, Sarah and Tabir were talking about Ramadan. Mm. Happy Ramadan, everyone. And they were talking about fasting. And something I thought they was, was interesting was that often they fast all day. And of course, you're spending the whole day thinking about, I can't wait mm-hmm. to break fast and what I'm going to have tonight. Mm-hmm. And then you get there and like, you're not hungry. Yeah. And I was like, that is true. That like, is the truest. What is up? What's the deal? Fuck you. Okay, so this next tweet is there's a fire tweets and they are fire tweets where I just I'm like, it's not a joke, but you need to hear it. Let's mm. talk about it. It comes from the wonderful Ested Wesley. You tweeted. Media Twitter both love saying Twitter is not real life and using black Twitter as a stand-in for actual reporting in actual black communities. I'm gonna give Okay, it. let's talk about it. This happens so, what an important it's like, true. paradox. It's true. We see it all the time. We see y'all. We see y'all. We're like, oh, we don't have any black people in the newsrooms, and we don't have any editors willing to We are going to send you to black communities, uh-huh. but you know what? Look at this hashtag that's trending. Got that. Clocked. On it. Busted. All right, you ready for Tweet of the Day? Like your faces, yes. All right, let's go. Tweet of the Day comes from T-Pain. Let me uh, clear my throat a little. <clears throat> what are birds even doing? Like, when you see one bird, where's the little guy going? And why do they have little bird jobs? Holy shit, is there bird money? I'm gonna take a nap. I need you to take a nap. <laughs> Shout out T-Pain. Thank you wow. for me doing that this. That was incredible. Thank you to the control room. Um, I will say, T-Pain is, you've got to follow him if you don't. I started mm-hmm. following him because of Game of Thrones. Just to delight. He is a just, delightful just, individual. He is just so lovely on the timeline. What are birds doing? What are they doing? <laughs> All right, coming up, I'm sitting down with Gabrielle Union and Jessica Alba, but up next, we're going live from the district. The entire segment will be auto-tuned. The whole, <laughs> the whole conversation. Welcome back. We're going live from the district with BuzzFeed News DC Bureau Chief Kate Nocera. Good morning, Kate. Good morning. Good morning. Okay, well, girl, let's just get into the mess because there is so much of it. Uh, Here's a tweet from Timothy Kama. He tweeted, it's win time, um, (laughs) which on its own is very funny. Uh, Trump says the wind kills all the birds. It doesn't, if you didn't know that. Uh, You want to see a bird cemetery, said the president of the United States of America. Go under a windmill sometime, at which point some people in the room applause this. Like, that's not even an applause line. Anyway, uh, finally, he repeated his falsehood that if you rely on wind power and the wind doesn't blow, quote, you don't 
watch television that night. Okay. Okay. Great. Kate, Kate, Frando, what the shit? <laughs> what the actual shit was that? Why does Trump, bird, why does Trump love birds so much? He what, just really likes the that? hot duck. <laughs> he doesn't, it's not that he loves birds so much, it's that he fucking hates windmills so much. And like, Imagine if you're the most powerful man basically in the world and you get to use that global stage to express your pettiest gripe all the time. He, he, he hates windmills, guys. Like, he just hates them, and he brings it up all the time. And it's, he's also said that windmills, the noise from the windmills can cause cancer, which I'm just going to go ahead and say is definitely... Not true. You know, so, and, and, and to, yeah. your, it's to your point, uh, Kate, about listen, you know, he's the one of the most uh, influential men in the world right now. And so the whole world is his platform. And so he can gripe about whatever he wants. I want to take a moment. We don't have the Oval Office, friends, oh, but the three of us do have AM to DM right now. And we all love RuPaul's Drag Race. Mm. So may we gripe about yeah. the problem that is Silky Nutmeg Ganache. We've had it. You want to see a bird cemetery? I'm done. Go into her dressing room. I'm done. <laughs> I'm so done. Feathers everywhere. Sick of her. Why is she still there? Why? I don't. Why? I why is she going away this week? Probably not. Uh, Probably not. Let's don't like let's it. Move on to something a little less depressing? Question mark. Here's a tweet from Tampa Bay Times reporter Emily Mahoney. Ron DeSantis said he was briefed by the FBI and DHS on two Florida counties that had their elections info accessed by Russian hackers in 2016. But he signed an NDA and can't share publicly which ones they are. Kate, why are we only finding out about this now? He signed an NDA? Right? I guess the FBI, yeah, the FBI went down to brief Governor DeSantis uh, on the matter. I don't know if they, like, just figured it out. We don't know because he signed an NDA, which is really, really weird. Yeah. We don't know why he signed an NDA, but that the, the, the government is asking him to sign an NDA to not reveal which counties. I mean, I don't know if I was like a voter in Florida, I would want to know if the Russians were walking around in my, you know, voter rolls like that. That's just that's something I would want to know. It's a very, very strange situation uh, that we're in right now. They are claiming that no votes were actually changed. No data was tampered with. But like, where are the receipts, guys? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm glad. I'm glad you're joining us for this conversation yeah. because it's very unnerving. Um, I, why would they want him to sign um, an NDA about something that you would think you'd want everyone to know? This is an important uh, public bit of information. Frankly, um, have the FBI or DHS confirmed their aspect of DeSantis's story? Uh, yeah, and it was actually uh, in the Mueller report. So that's how we all kind of found out about this, is that in the Mueller report, it said that the Russians had infiltrated two voting systems uh, in Florida. Uh, and that was the first time Ron DeSantis had found out about that. Mm -hmm. So that's also a problem. Yeah. So I think he saw that and said, hey, what the shit, give me a briefing. And then uh, from there, you know, that's where we are now. So that's wow. why we're all just hearing about this right now. That's My goodness. Yeah. Really weird, but just, we're all hearing about this right now. But we also heard something kind of similar, I feel like, during the election cycle, during the midterms, when Senator Bill Nelson brought it up. What was the reaction like then? Because I seem to remember it being not very good for Bill. Yeah, I mean, Bill Nelson took it 
a step further. Mm. Uh, he was saying that, you know, the Russians were in all of the just, you know, free running around, like doing whatever they wanted in the Florida voting apparatus. I don't know. Uh, and Bill Nelson has previously had a tendency to say things that were not really true, right? <laughs> so I think that uh, at the time, a lot of people didn't take this particularly seriously, though I will say his Senate counterpart at the time, Marco Rubio, was also saying like, hey, uh, things are pretty loose and easy in Florida and we should be worried. Uh, Marco Rubio, I believe, had access to more classified information at that time than maybe Bill Nelson did um, or, you know, but couldn't quite say go all the way. Uh, in terms of talking about it. Um, so this is not like new news. People have definitely tried to, you know, raise the alarm about this before. Uh, but this is certainly the solid, the most solid confirmation that we've had that uh, Russians did get into voting systems in right. Florida. Retroactive context. Mm -hmm. um, well, of course, we have another election coming up, and I hope more states uh, get their acts together. Uh, Kate, we'll leave it there for now. Uh, super comforting. Thanks for joining <laughs> us this morning. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Thank you. Don't and, need <laughs> love it. <laughs> and Silky Nutmeg Ganache is just trash. All right, up next, Gabrielle Union and Jessica. I'd say it to her face. Jessica Alba are here. I'm so excited to talk to them. And later on, we have our Woman Crush Wednesday with Sports Illustrated model Hunter McGrady. Stay tuned. <laughs> Hello, my queens. This is The Sit Down, and I'm joined by actors Gabrielle Union and Jessica Alba, the stars and executive producers of the show LA's Finest. Good morning, y'all. Good morning. I'm so excited to have y'all here. We're stars, icons, businesswomen. Okay. I love it. Okay, so LA's Finest is a spinoff of, of course, the Bad Boys franchise, which iconic. Uh, you're reprising your role as Sid. Yeah. Did you, was that always part of the plan? Is that always something you've wanted to do? No, no, absolutely not. Like we were just kind of having some cocktails, okay. talking about whatever happened to different characters I've right. played over the years. Mm -hmm. So it was like, is Isis like a Laker girl now? Is she like a Dallas Cowboy cheerleader? You know, whatever happened to Sid or her and Mike Lowry married? Are they right. in couples counseling? Did she have to go to HR, the DEA? I mean. Um, and then we were kind of like, wait, that might be a show. And so jokingly, we kind of took it to Jerry Bruckheimer. Mm. He's like, no, that absolutely is a show. So and great. here we are a year later. So I hear Bad Boys 3 is happening in 2020. Yeah. Will we see Sid there? No. No? <laughs> <laughs> Sid wasn't busy. invited. Okay. Oh, no. How dare they? Trash. <laughs> I will have a word with Jerry Bruckheimer later. Um, I'm excited. You play her partner at the LAPD. What's it like getting to play like a leading woman in an action drama? I mean, I started my career sort of doing this mm -hmm. with Dark Angel. True. When I was 17. Shout out to Dark Angel. Yeah. Okay. And the last time I actually signed a TV contract was 20 years ago when I was 17. And so it was all sort of surreal to be back in, in, in doing television again. But I was just so happy to be part of a show that Gab created. You know, like Gab's been uh, an incredible actress all these years. Uh, we sort of grew up in the business together mm -hmm. and to be able to partner up with her and uh, and bring this show to life and do something that people really haven't seen before. Right, right. In action franchises, the women get to be saved, even mm -hmm. if they are considered capable. Mm -hmm. They're not capable enough to, to save themselves. Themselves, right. Uh, or they're very masculine and they're mm -hmm. very sort of one note, mm -hmm. very serious mm -hmm. and There's brooding. There's a lot of tight buns, right. you know? 
<laughs> a lot of tight buns. Very tight buns. And if you don't have a tight you know. bun, you're not capable. <laughs> you know, the brows always. Um, yeah. and, and we, like, we're cracking jokes. We're mm -hmm. girls you want to hang out with. We're not alike. Our characters are different mm -hmm. uh, in our approach to our work and then in just in our personalities. Mm -hmm. But we get along and we're, we got each other's back. And, you know, if there are moments where we need to be saved, we save each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because the other thing I feel like when you do see women um, in the action context, they're by themselves. Mm. Yes. Right? It's like maybe a team or they're totally by themselves. You don't get to see two women supporting each other. So was that something also that was important to you? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> and women of color. Oh yeah, hello. Goodness. Okay, also oh that. Oh, my goodness. Look. <laughs> We also might that. look like, you know, global citizens. <laughs> Imagine that. Ding. Imagine that. <laughs> Imagine that. Um, you know, Gabby, we get live from you on Twitter, and I love that you participate in conversations not just about entertainment, mm -hmm. but social issues, uh, racism, violence, police brutality. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to ask you, too, how do you navigate doing a show, you know, where you're playing cops? You know, bad boys are not exactly, you know, the model citizens, yeah. so to speak, while also thinking about, you know, what's going on in our country. We we have daily conversations yeah. about yeah. that on set. Um, and we just, honestly, we have to be self-aware, mm -hmm. be very aware. And we sometimes change setups. Mm. We're like, this, what we're doing, is mm. actually police brutality. Mm. Like, um, so yeah. we, have we have to, to handle this our differently. Approach and mm. we, and we have... The writers there on set, and um, you know, a lot of people who write procedurals just kind of go through the motions. Right. Mm -hmm. And or it's like this is what a typical cop would do, and we have like LAPD consultants there, mm -hmm. and we're like, pause. Right. But if we're going to be the example mm -hmm. of what's not being done, but what could be done, right? We need to let's do it better. take that approach. I love that. And so sometimes we're not always going to, when in doubt, shoot our gun. Mm. When in doubt, sometimes we try to take a different approach. We try to talk. We mm -hmm. try, if we have to do hand-to-hand -hand combat, mm -hmm. we'll do that even. Mm. Um, and, and that is something that is just not as common. Mm -hmm. uh, and we're not going to arrest you mm -hmm. for weed. We're okay. going to smoke it with you. Okay. <laughs> like you literally see in the pilot, uh -huh. you roll, like, yeah. roll up a J uh -huh. and smoke it. Okay. With, we're like, listen, we are it, in L.A. Listen, because it's like, it's not and about it's, arresting everybody right. for dumb little right. things. It's, yeah. it's, it's about actually, you know, protecting and down, serving mm -hmm. and, and showing what that can look like. like real, real dangerous people. Mm -hmm. But if someone's just like doing the damn thing, like mm -hmm. let them live their life. Right. Absolutely, you because know? cops are also a part of our community. Yeah, we're not trying to contribute to the to the prison population. Okay, shut up. Listen, you better you better be. Listen, who else just saw you know <laughs> Ava's documentary? Like that's yeah. not what this show is about. Totally. It's it's a different it's a different kind of police yeah. work. And the fact that we're our characters uh -huh. both have some not so you know oh, by the book. Mm -hmm. We're very flawed, mm -hmm. and we have both participated in some criminal activity mm -hmm. in our past. Um, we're not the ones to. Um, to lead with mm -hmm. putting more black and brown people mm -hmm. in the criminal justice system. Yeah, and we're not a holier than thou. Like, right. we don't take that approach like we're better than mm -hmm. anyone. Mm -hmm. um, and we don't try to grandstand on certain morals. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, frankly, the more we dug into uh, dated people who are in, the, in uh, the police force and the types of decisions that they have to make on a daily basis, there's a lot of gray area. Mm -hmm. And there are opportunities where they can take this or that, and they're not necessarily both right or mm -hmm. wrong. And mm -hmm. it's just sort of the way you approach it and, and the 
optimal outcome. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I love that you're, you're thinking about like where about, people, like, you know, yeah. live. Yeah. Where people live. I love that you're thinking about like let's do the show. Let's make it entertaining. Let's get our lives. But also, what can we model within the context? Because I think another way you're both doing this um, is that you know you're both wonderful moms, um, and I've heard you've also thought about making the set kid friendly, which was like, oh, okay. So I wanted to ask you both, what are ways in which having a kid friendly set help you both do your jobs as as producers and actors? Well, well, A, that's open to the entire production. Okay. Cast, crew, for everybody. Know, writer's room, like mm-hmm. everyone has the ability to, to have their family there, mm-hmm. um, have access to, you know, Nursing station, mm-hmm. nursing, you know, place, as, as Jessica says, mm-hmm. dignified places yeah. to, you yeah. know, nourish nourish yeah. your child um, like we had a, we had an LA teacher strike mm-hmm. and there were gaps in childcare. Mm. there were kids on set okay. and instead of treating it like a nuisance or shaming people or guilting people or not allowing them to come to work mm. and get that check wow. yeah, they came to work yeah. and we, we figure it, it out yeah. and we still magically made our day because happier healthier uh, uh, cast members and crew members mm-hmm. make better more productive employees mm-hmm. and that's just the bottom line and we don't take the, the stance of because because your check clears, we own your life, mm-hmm. like a lot of companies do. Mm-hmm. Um, we we want to come in, do great work, and do it as efficiently and as respectfully as possible so you get to lead full lives. I love it. I love it. Um, I also heard that you were the first person to find out that she was pregnant with her daughter, mm-hmm. uh, which is such a great, you know, uh, secret, a joyful secret between friends. But what was it like kind of having to keep that good news to yourself? How did oh, you do that? No, no one's asked her. Oh, no one's asked me that. Um, I I took it in and then I tried to forget it um, because <laughs> I didn't want it to come out uh-huh. accidentally. Okay. Um, and then I would only sort of like just ask because yeah, you don't you you never know how it's gonna go. Okay. And I didn't want to assume anything, and so I was really delicate with Gab about it because she's like, we don't know what's gonna happen, mm-hmm. um, but this is what we're doing. And I was like, I'll pray for you. And then just like, hey, how's it going? How's it going? And then she would just either talk about it or not over DM uh-huh. or texting. Um, and that was it. But when uh, when we were shooting the show, she was like, it's happening. <laughs> and it's going to happen <laughs> during, during production. And I was like, we got it. And I so it. I coordinated with, I was like, tell me when you tell the, the boys um, who helped co-create the show. And, and we just figured out the schedule and, and the storyline and everything mm-hmm. to, to to make sure that she had that time. I love it. I love. And she it. gave me extra time because I was only supposed to have two weeks, okay. and Jess was like, "She needs more time." Okay. And and that all falls on her because mm. um, if I'm not there, right. usually we split the work. Uh-huh. And if I'm not there, so that means it's doing. more that she has mm-hmm. to do. And mm-hmm. she was like, "I got this." Mm-hmm. And so take all the time you need. So I got an additional week Mm -hmm. and she just held it down and I arrived back to set and my trailer is tricked out to look exactly like her trailer. It's a nursery. It's, it's, it's ready for me to bring my baby to work. So I don't have to miss any moments either. That's yeah. just great. It's like, it's, it's beautiful. It's and thoughtful. there was tequila in there as well. <laughs> okay. All right. That's how we know. And a That's cashmere how we know. blanket. And okay. a cashmere blanket. <laughs> to be nice and cozy. That's when you girls With really my got tequila. you. I love it. <laughs> uh, well, one, one more question before I let you go. Again, you you don't shy away from Twitter conversations. Mm-hmm. And something I saw, I was like, this is a pickle. And so I'm going to take it to Gabrielle Union. Please. As I do with all my pickles. Uh, Aisha Curry, her conversation on Red Table Talk, you know, again, it's like every time, unfortunately, she speaks up, no matter what she says. The back clash is really overwhelming. And I understand that, you know, what she said in the past, rightfully so, upset a lot of people. But I wanted to ask you, as someone who, of course, has been in the public eye, your relationship with Dwayne, you know, you're, you're not new to, you know, the dynamic in which she finds herself. 
Is there any advice you would have for her or someone who identifies with that situation of just being like, I feel like there is nothing I can say that doesn't just invite all of this scrutiny? <laughs> well, A, we're both, we're both, you know, close with Aisha. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We were both at her birthday party. Mm-hmm. Um, she was honest. Mm. And she told her truth. And no matter what your truth is, there are going to be people who do not like it. Mm. And or when, understand it or understand the context and, and understand yeah. your journey. Mm-hmm. Or, or care to yeah. try to understand mm-hmm. her perspective mm-hmm. and what she's talking about. Um, we were, there were so many group chats going mm-hmm. on, like just in Phone life, just just from, from that conversation. Mm-hmm. And there was not one mother mm-hmm. who did not understand what she was talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and even for the people who were like, like the guys that were talking about it, they're like, yeah, but did she have to say it publicly? And I said, but if she doesn't share her truth publicly, mm-hmm. there's a lot of other people who are out there, you know, feeling like they're alone on an right. island when they're really, that island is overcrowded. It's a nation. And in the same way that I talked about my fertility journey, talked about being a sexual assault survivor, mm-hmm. talked about relationship challenges, mm-hmm. talking about the LGBTQ plus community, um, Everyone always has something to say. Right. And I would r- always rather err on the side of truth and transparency mm-hmm. um, and authenticity and let the chips fall where, they're, fall where they may than hold on to my journey mm-hmm. and when I could be helping other people and identifying with other people and making people feel less alone mm-hmm. than holding all that in. Mm-hmm. I mean, we were talking the other day, Jessica did a post, a, bipart- a bipartisan post, mm-hmm. saying, remember to vote. Mm-hmm. She didn't say where to vote, how mm-hmm. to vote, like, like vote. Who, who to vote. Vote for death threats. And I I did say, hey, women, remember Mm -hmm. we are half the population, Mm -hmm. and a lot of the things that are up for, Mm -hmm. you know, up for debate, Mm -hmm. and and certain people are rooting for or against Mm -hmm. affect our lives. Absolutely. So just vote. That's the, that's not just your truth. That's the truth, and yeah. that's death threat, literally, yeah. death, like actual wow. death threat. Yeah. So, so, so when we put it all in perspective, mm-hmm. Aisha's talking about her truth and how she feels, mm-hmm. and and if you if people actually watch that entire Red Table mm-hmm. Talk, the Curry women drop so many jewels and so much truth. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, ses, you know, sister talked about concussions and and how you know like the effect that's had. Like everyone was really brutally honest instead of that two minute clip right. if they watch the whole thing mm-hmm. it it was a much larger conversation about mental health and and self-care and healing um it was a very important episode mm-hmm. um but when we actually get into when we share our truth what that what the consequence can be mm-hmm. you know like death threats yeah let's all give it a beat right just for one second, say mm-hmm. where, what perspective are they, are they coming from? Right. It may not be my life. Mm-hmm. It might not be how I might articulate mm-hmm. it. Um, yeah. But it's okay to share your space. Like that. That's Sometimes also you say, we're going to need more wine. We're going to need more wine. And we're going to hear this out. <laughs> but, but, but real intersectional feminism <laughs> yeah. Yeah. is embracing all of our intersections that Absolutely. make us who we are as women. And that's okay. Absolutely. You don't have to agree with it without trashing somebody. Absolutely. That's true. Well, or, you know, yeah. threatening their life. Uh, at the very least. And, you know, Gab yeah. and I, what we wanted to do on this show is we wanted to show to women as well that don't agree, mm-hmm. um, but we're not competitive. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, we sort of agree to disagree. We take different approaches and we keep it moving. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important in us being executive producers, showing to women who can have a very entertaining, action-packed, 
funny, all the things, but you also see a dynamic and a relationship in two women that you don't normally get to see um, in entertainment out in the world at this level or at this scale. Well, I so appreciate that you found so many ways to do this and model it for all of us. We glow because of your shine. So thank you. Guys, you can watch Jessica and Gabby on uh, LA's Finest on Monday nights on Spectrum. Up next, Sylvia is going to talk with our Woman Crush Wednesday model, Hunter McGrady. Fun conversation. I love it. Welcome back. I am so excited to be joined by model and activist and AM to DM's Woman Crush Wednesday, Hunter McGrady. Hey, girl. How's it going? Good. How are you? I am loving this suit. Yes, a pink. Come on, give us a pink pink moment. Yes. (laughs) Okay, so this is your third Sports Illustrated cover that you just did, which is like... Third Mom. issue I've been in. I'm so excited. How did it feel when they called you back? Oh my gosh. I mean, my stomach dropped. I mean, every time I, I've shot Sports Illustrated, every time I'm like, oh my God, this is the best issue I've ever been in. Second time, this is the best issue I've ever been in. <laughs> this time I'm like, no, really? This is the best <laughs> this issue is I've ever been in. Um, I mean, it's just the most diverse issue yet. As you guys know, Halima Aiden is in it. Mm-hmm. Winnie Harlow. You guys have seen the cover with yeah. Tyra, Camille, Morgan. Like, it's just so diverse and it's so, you know, inclusive and that's everything I stand for and it's just, it's awesome. No, yeah, it's just chock full of just greatness. And yeah. I want to read this tweet because as you mentioned, it's breaking a lot of barriers and Halima Aiden was, is appearing in a burkini and um, you tweeted, once again, so proud to be part of this incredible issue. Sports Illustrated Swimsuit is leading the way. We can see how much representation matters in um, many ways. But what is your response to people who still try to write off Sports Illustrated as like catering to the male gaze only? You know, it's interesting. I was informed um, a couple months ago that uh, Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition has 16 million female readers. Ooh. So, I mean, that kind of says a lot. Come on, right receipts. There. Yes, honey, we got receipts. <laughs> so, you know, it's like... I think now it's it's a magazine, you know, because they are so inclusive and in showcasing all body types, all walks of life and different backgrounds. You know, mm-hmm. it's not just the men reading it. It's women reading it, too. Right. And they're celebrating women with us. And who says that women don't want, like, a hot, sexy magazine to look at, too? Right. We're, yes, honey. I, right? I picked up the Sports Illustrated issue. Listen, I would like to collect how Tyra still looks bomb uh, ten yes. years, over 10 years later. Yes. Like, just, just <laughs> no, you guys all look great. And yes, yeah, for everybody. Um, and, I, and this goes along because you're very outspoken about what it's like to be a plus-size woman in fashion industry. And I want to read this tweet from Jasmine Lawson that says, I don't really care for I love how confident you are as a compliment. It feels super backhanded as if all fat girls feel some sort of shame. Are there any comments like that that like really drive you nuts when people are like trying to be encouraging? Yeah, but- you know, I hate that, comp- that, that very comment. I also hate you're so brave. You're so brave. And I'm like, what do you mean? Because I love my body? That's brave? Like, this is just who I am and and what I represent. Um, But I feel like I get a lot of those. I also hate, this is what a real woman looks like. (laughs) Because for me, I'm like, body positivity is about every woman. All sizes are to be celebrated, and that should be the norm. So a real woman is, whether it's my best friend who's a size 2, or me who's a size 16, 18, girl, like, we're all here together. Um, You know, people just need to be educated. Mm -hmm. And I love that there's women like you out here educating. Lizzo was another queen that has been stomping on the narrative. And just, like, authentically being 
who the hell she is and loving who she is. Have you felt a shift in the way like where people are talking about plus size women in this new era? I feel like especially with like Instagram and body positivity and everybody being able to like connect. I know like for myself being able to like make sure my timeline has such a diverse yeah. thing. It makes me feel better about my size. Like, how, does, you feel like Yeah, I mean, I'm, I almost curate who I follow. Like yeah. I'm super picky on, on following people that make me feel good and people that post positive stuff, people that kind of align with my beliefs. Um, Lizzo's, I mean, she's just done such a great job. She's, you know, it, it takes people like Lizzo to put yourself out there and say, you know, fuck every, fuck, fuck everyone who has an issue with this. You know what right. I mean? It's like, I am who I am and none of you guys are going to stop me, you know, and it takes someone who can be loud and isn't going to be, you know, silenced. And, uh, you know, I hope that, that more women and come forward with that. No, I do too. Um, Melissa, Melissa Rosenberg tweeted this there, scene in Shrill where Annie follows Hunter McGrady into the flower shop is like exactly how I feel every time I look at Hunter McGrady's Instagram. <laughs> Instagram can be scary and toxic as we talked about, but clearly there's a lot of power there to inspire and do good. How have you made it a safer place for yourself? You spoke about curating it. Yeah. Is there any other tips you have for making it a safer place? You know, back to curating it. I think that that's so important. We have the power to follow who we want to follow. We mm-hmm. have, you know, we can quite literally mute someone if we're like, you know what, that's really not resonating with me anymore. Right. Um, you know, and I think that that's so important to do that. Um, also being authentic on your own page, you know, yeah. be one of those people who people want to follow. And, um, you know, that's that's so important. I try to do that with my audience as well. <laughs> be the change you want to see. Be the change you want to see, exactly. Yes, I love it. Um, you um, also, had a case so we spoke about your cameo intro um what was it like to have to be part of such a pivotal scene for Annie even though like for you I love that it was like just <laughs> being you it's like hey can you come on Trill and be yourself walk across the street a little bit go to the flower shop yeah and that's exactly basically what they said they're like just just walk okay and you know um it's so funny because I've never gotten more DMs in my life than from really? that cameo because people were like listen like this scene I can relate to so much you know oh, whether it be man. someone that you uh, you know, see you walking across the street or a celebrity, you idolize someone that, you know, kind of shows off that confidence. And, um, you know, I can relate to Annie in this scene mm. as well, you know. So um, it was such a cool thing to be a part of. I mean, A.D. Bryan is so incredible and yeah. everything she stands for is awesome. They just got picked up for a second season, which is yes. so cool. I'm so excited because they really left us on a hang. I was like, six episodes, that's it. I know, I know. I was <laughs> like, I knew they were going to pick it up because it got such a great response. I mean, that pool right. party scene was like, that was, oh, that's what I want. So much eye candy. Yes. That's what I want every movie, every TV show to look like. Me, same. Yes. So, you know, we Instagram stalk a little bit here at AM to DM. And we recently posted some photos of your bachelorette weekend in Napa. Yes. Which I'm like, you know, weddings bring so much anxiety for women about their bodies. What advice do you have for brides to be brides to be? About, you know, I think my biggest advice is to not make it a weight loss journey. A lot of people get married and all of a sudden they're like, I gotta lose weight before the big day. And then they show up on their wedding day and you're like, you don't even look like the same girl that (laughs) I proposed to. Yeah. (laughs) You know, your fiance asked you to marry them as they are. And I think that that's Mm -hmm. so important to stay true to that. Enjoy the process. Remember that at the end of the day, that it's the commitment that you're making. It's not about, you know, the way that, I mean, yeah, it's a little bit about the way that you look on that day, but the most important thing is the commitment and having fun with it. And, uh, you know, I've tried to, check myself and and remember that so it's been really fun and relaxing actually I mean it hasn't been crazy cool cool 
cool. Well, we'll be following along to the rest of the. I, I know your I know your wedding's about to just break, Graham. I can't wait to see it. Whatever is happening. Um, so thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. And again, you can see the Sports Illustrated swimsuit. It's on newsstands now. The issue. More AM to DM is up next. Here's a tweet from Borgor. Best thing about America is you put the word breakfast in front of any type of food and it's acceptable to eat it first thing in the morning. Amanda Mull, writer for The Atlantic, joins me now to talk about her piece, I Broke Breakfast. Good morning, Amanda. Good morning. Hey, so when did you see through the matrix and realize that the rules of breakfast are meaningless and it is all an empty food void out there? Well, I've always, I would call myself a longtime breakfast skeptic. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I've never, I've never been a big fan of sweet stuff Mm -hmm. and modern American breakfast food tends to be very dessert like. Yeah. So I've always, I've always been a skeptic, but I would say the moment that things really crystallized for me was, was last year when I woke up hungover and really craving a chicken parm. Um, and uh, I, re- I realized that my bagel shop, which makes other kinds of sandwiches at lunch, would probably make me one, even though it was like nine in the morning. Uh, I'm a regular, so <laughs> I felt like I could ask for a special dispensation for that. <laughs> um, and uh, they made it for me, and it was delicious. It was exactly what I wanted. Uh, it's nutritionally not significantly different from eating a bacon, egg, and cheese on a bagel, which is such a common breakfast. Uh, so I decided then and there. The breakfast over. (laughs) Done. We're done. Yeah, I agree with you on breakfast being really desserty these days. I mean, we have what cake and bread pudding, and that's that's breakfast for a lot of people. Uh, You did a bunch of research on breakfast for this peach, which I love about all of your pieces. How deep you go into the weird ways that we exist. So, what does a typical breakfast look like in the rest of the world? Uh, in the rest of the world, it, it really varies culturally, uh, but it, in most of the world, breakfast food doesn't is isn't super distinct from what people eat for the rest of the day. Mm. Um, you know, it can be it can be olives, it can be fish, it can be rice, it can be uh, lentils, it can be all kinds of different things. In the rest of the world, in America, is where you really get that sort of hard and fast rules about what is or is not breakfast, and and the idea that breakfast has to be sort of sweet and cold. Uh, especially during the work week. Right. So how did we go from, you know, last night's leftovers and, you know, whatever happens to be in the kitchen to what we think of as American breakfast now? Uh, Well, uh, that sort of started uh, around the Industrial Revolution. Before that, like you said, breakfast in America tended to be uh, sort of regional and it tended to be leftovers from the night before, whatever was available, whatever didn't, hadn't gone bad, preserved meats. That's where bacon comes from mm-hmm. uh, as a breakfast food. Uh, but during the Industrial Revolution, that sort of started to change, especially as refrigeration became more common. Uh, so as you move through the 20th century, uh, at-home refrigeration shows up in more and more homes. Uh, and then having refrigeration and being able to keep fresh milk, uh, even if you didn't have a cow of your own or, or, or live someplace near you know, a dairy, uh, became sort of a status symbol and it became a sign of sophistication. Um, so that's where you get, uh, that's where you get milk and cereal. And then 
cereal actually started out as, as sort of a wellness product. Um, I think a lot of people think of wellness as sort of a as sort of a modern uh, invention, but the the Kellogg brothers were giving it to people at their sanitarium in Michigan to ward off sexual thoughts and uh, encourage bowel movements uh, at the at the turn of the twentieth century. Uh, so those two things sort of met each other. Uh, and created sort of the, the breakfast that we know today, which is a lot of industrialized convenience foods that don't have to be heated. Capitalism, giving us breakfast. They did one good thing. <laughs> so how did marketing build what we think of as breakfast today? You know, with the cereal and the juice and the fruit and the, what you saw in the cereal commercials that you never actually had. Right. Uh, cereal is sort of a perfectly marketable product. It's very, very inexpensive to produce. Um, it's, it's shelf stable. Uh, it, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't go bad in people's homes. Uh, it can be sweetened. So it's, so it's really, really marketable to children. Um, and food companies, industrial food companies realized this, uh, and started cranking it out. Um, one of the experts I spoke to for the, for the piece said that by far the most expensive thing about, uh, the cereal you buy is, is the, is what happens on the front of the box. Huh. Uh, the marketing is the most expensive part of making cereal. Uh, so as, as and this is another uh, result of the industrial revolution, as advertising proliferated, as communication became easier, uh, companies started marketing, it, marketing things directly to children. And if you can get children on some sugar, <laughs> then, uh, then, you've got, then you've got a good sale. Because then also industrial revolution, more women started going into formalized labor. There was less time in the morning. So uh, it was, it was an easy value proposition for kids, an easy one for moms. And it sort of became the regular thing everybody does. Well, Amanda, thank you so much for that. I think I'm going to crush a plate of pancakes tonight for dinner in honor of this segment. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. All right, guys, let's take you to the timeline. What is your favorite thing to eat for breakfast that isn't actually a breakfast food? Tell us using the hashtag AM to DM. Up next, responding to a few more of your tweets. Stick around. Welcome back. We had a couple tweets from you guys. Kirsten Baptiste tweeted this after Saeed sit down with Gabrielle Union and Jessica Alba. I agree with Gabby, but I want Aisha to get to the I said what I said part in life. <laughs> Which, you know what? Fair. You know what, Aisha? Stand your ground. Oh, man. Stick with it. Yeah, I just, you know, I... <sighs> I, I, I grew up around, you know, some blacks, and, and, and Naisha's not a Southern girl, but I grew up around black Southern bells mm. um, that remind me of Aisha. And, and I just, I, I feel for her, mm -hmm. you know? I, I think what she's saying about her life choices and what she prefers is about her. I don't mm -hmm. think her intention to project was to it onto everyone because, else. Yeah. Yeah. And, and if it was, then, well, she's paying the price. But I think she's in this bind now where, you know, um, she could say the sky is blue, and, and it's like, ah, yeah. And it's just really interesting that family clearly has come to mean so much, and there's just this huge conversation around them that maybe right. doesn't even have anything to do with them. Anyway, anyway, that's my tea. Mm. Well, uh, we also asked what state or city in the U.S. Oh, right. Uh, do you think has the sexiest accent? Spoiler: None of them. Uh, Seashell says. Oh, New Orleans accents sound like songs. Okay, I'm kind of mm. down with that. Not sexy, though. Uh, Boston accents are pretty cool, but I rarely get there, whether it's too finicky. LOL. I mean, fair. I mean, I. Sexy, Boston's, though? 
I don't know what the answer is. I mean, I guess the South is like. I would say I think I think in certain parts of the South, like right. I think the Georgia, uh, you know, that if kinda, your voice gets to be described dip. as like honey or mahogany, mm-hmm. then yes, yeah, that's it very works. sweet. But and I say this is someone from Texas and Tennessee. Listen, the Memphis <laughs> accent is not gonna gonna do it for you. Alas. Oh, what about the Michigan accent or the Minneapolis? <laughs> oh yeah, does that do cute. it for you? <laughs> <laughs> Blasian FMA tweeted, to be honest, I'm fine with facial recognition tech. I'm fine with being able to keep track of people. Where I am concerned is the tech messing up the pe- pairing with IDing people and cops bum rushing the wrong person, which they already do. Right. That and is completely I, you know, and fair. I know you all have seen this on my timeline, but that mm-hmm. video from Now This News right. of uh, that black gentleman in Texas who was in the front yard with his dog and a cop. And this is literally what happens, you know, just mistake him for he looks nothing like this 50-year-old man with dreads. Mm-hmm. And Instead of warrant out for really your arrest, scary. tried to arrest him. Yeah, so yeah. add that to facial recognition, and it gets really scary, though— who knows? Maybe it actually prevents things like that because it's a clear match. My thing is, like, it's a te- debate. Yeah, still. my thing is, te- technology in the end comes from us. It comes from people, mm-hmm. and like until we deal with our issues mm-hmm. of our, you know, our own implicit biases, that will continue to be built into right. whatever technology we develop. Right. Mm-hmm. So just because it's technology doesn't mean it's going to remove us from the existing problems. I think. Correct. Stay safe out there. Anyway, thank you to all of our guests. A lot of really cool conversations. Yeah. I enjoy ramen for breakfast this morning, so thank you for empowering me. <laughs> uh, Davey Alba, Sylvia Obel, Kate Nacera, Abby Crane, Amanda Mole, Hunter McGrady. I love Hunter McGrady. Gabrielle Union, Jessica Alba. I love them, too. What thank you, guys. What a great guest today. Hi, Queens. Glad to have been here. Isaac will be <laughs> back here tomorrow with Saeed at 10 a.m. Have a great rest of your day. Crush some pancakes, guys. Enjoy. Crush some pancakes. <laughs>